Hi, Eva, my dear co-host of the Up Level Together podcast. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. <laughs> and how are you? I am so good. I wish everyone could just see you right now and the beautiful face of yours, the beautiful smile that always brings me so much joy. It's same for you. Same for me. <laughs> it's like I look forward to this every single time. It puts a smile on my face and warms up my heart. And we have the best conversations. Someone was recently telling me, he's like, I really like the, the conversation you have with that doctor. I'm like, yes, I know. Aren't they the best? Uh, because you're so darn smart and so insightful. You and I were just talking about the state of the world and how we sometimes feel like I at least want to retreat into the woods in one of those tiny homes. Well, I told you, I, I told you that that's what I've been doing for 20 years. And if I wanted, you know, people to actually know what it is I had to say, I had to come out of my little hiding, you know, and I do, I actually do. I, I, I'm out in the world and then I go into hiding for a bit. So <laughs> to sort of <laughs> regroup it's an interesting thing I was talking to years ago to someone we were in Tuscany and have overlooking these like amazing conversation but I was in the zone where I was really into my spiritual bubble and I told her I'm like I just want to go into a cave and just meditate and just be you know and and be in that great space and she said and who do you help that way Oh, and it was just so interesting because it was about me. It was me not wanting to deal with the world. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I've it's an it was an interesting observation. Like, yes, you can do that, but then also, why are you here? What's your ultimate purpose? Oh, hi, hi. What's that? <laughs> and we have a special guest. We have a special guest, but she is going to join us in a minute because she's going to join on her computer. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm so excited. Tell us, um, again, we really wowed on these uh, co-hosting episodes to bring some phenomenal, phenomenal guests and talk about things that I think that aren't, th that really need to be talked about. So yeah. this happens to be a, uh, a just a brilliant human and we're going to talk about it, but also a really good friend of yours. She is. She is. Well, I wanted to say that um, about coming out in the world before because um you know it's a sort of why then i'll introduce anna because that sort of has to do with our relationship and that she is totally out in the world and uh and then to you know together we just make this amazing team and uh the three of us are we're gonna you know just i think it just creates a world explosion um but there's also something to be said about working being in a cave and meditating and getting clear because your that energy is still helping the world yeah. because the more we raise our vibration individually the more that vibration helps the world in a more metaphys metaphysical sense and also that when we're out speaking and connecting and talking and teaching we really help more people on that level so um, I think there's a balance of both of sort of in and, and out so replenish our, ourselves I think it's really important and finding that balance when we're sort of taking care of ourselves raising our energy raising our vibration and then going out the world and sharing that um, so I think we're all trying to figure out the best balance for that. Yeah, and, you know, you remind me of what David Hawking said, and he said when he calibrated people and how the presence of a uh, awakened spiritual teacher could the frequency of that love that that person emanates can heal absolutely millions of people. So I I, I love that you brought that up. Yeah, I love that. yeah. 
And that's and so that's like a wonderful introduction to Anna, who I love so much, is I love you. Just really incredible people that have so much heart and so much wisdom. And she is um, she's just she's also super smart. I mean, you think I'm smart. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the things that she says and the things that she does and what she's done throughout her life. And um, I'm just I'm going to to uh, to read a little bit about her because there's just so much there that um I'm not, I can't say it by myself, but she is an internationally recognized and award-winning board-certified Stanford and Yale-educated psychiatrist and executive coach with a private practice in New York, California, Connecticut, and Florida. She is a best-selling author of the, of the book, Fulfilled, which is a wonderful book, uh, How the Science of Spirituality Can Help You Live a Happier, More Meaningful Life. And as a clinical assistant professor at Yale Medical School, she is presently creating the uh, Spirituality and Mental Health Center Center at Yale, which is super so it's so cool. I can't even tell you like it's just groundbreaking, amazing. Um, And um, after working as a neurobiology researcher with Dr. Robert Sapolsky um, and completing her studies at Stanford, I don't know if you guys ever heard of Robert Sapolsky. He's amazing. Yes. My favorite book is uh, Why Zebras Don't um, Have Ulcers. Um, she has tra- traveled and lived and worked in over 70 countries while studying Kabbalah, learning Buddhist meditation, and working with South American shamans and Indian gurus. She is literally unbelievable. Um, again, I feel like I, when I when I'm like, with her or listening to her speak, I'm just in absolute awe. So like, you know, Jasna, how you are with me, like, it'd be like triple with Anna. Oh and, my God. Um, anyway, she's, she's incredible. <laughs> she has so much to teach us. And I'm going to move this so we can all be together. Hello. Pleasure to meet you. And thank you so much, Dr. Eva. What a joy. We have been hearing about you now for months. Our audience has heard about you. Everyone knows this anticipation that you are coming and that you're going to come to talk to us. So I'm just so incredibly, incredibly excited and just grateful you could make it. Thank you so much, Jasna. It is a pleasure to be here and I'm thrilled to be invited by you guys. And I've heard so much about you as well. So thank you. Oh, it's a beautiful, beautiful connection overall. Um, so I, I'm, I'm. There's so much that I want to talk to you about, but you are um, the things that you're doing. Just like Eva said, are earth shattering, are trailblazing, and are really going to revolutionize. I think our new world, this new era that we're going into on on multiple levels. But before we even start, just like what what are you feeling right now in the world? With everything in the world, I would love to see how are you feeling because we're feeling heavy a little bit. <laughs> I think there is great heaviness, and alongside the great heaviness is also great excitement by virtue of all these amazing people everywhere trying to do things to help people, to help uplift consciousness, to help heal depression, anxiety. There's all these new treatments right now that are seeking to revolutionize the most treatment resistant conditions and the most difficult to treat medical and mental health conditions. I think that there is great reason to be hopeful. And you know, um, it's really interesting. I just entered this new um, field of longevity. Prior to that, I was primarily in the mental health field first and foremost. And I go to some of these longevity conferences to speak and suddenly there's all these people who wanna live till 150 and have no ambivalence whatsoever. And this is in such stark contrast 
to so many people who I've worked with my whole life who are very ambivalent about, are you sure you want to live? People who get suicidal, who aren't sure they want to live another day, another month, another year, much less till 150. And so I felt also just so inspired by the this movement and there's this subset of people sometimes driven true by fear of death but also by a will to live so i feel like for all of these reasons there's so many reasons to be really hopeful and this is why we're having this conversation exactly <laughs> i love that it's 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 so funny i feel like last night i had a moment i was telling eva it was with my husband, I said, I just want to go into in the middle of the forest. It's one of those tiny homes. <laughs> it was one of those days, but it's because I had just been on for so long. And sometimes the work to um, to show up integrously and with light and with in alignment and full coherence of myself, it just feels like a lot of work. And I, it's like, just do I go in a cave and meditate or, or do I really go out there in the world? So it's the balance of both. So that's really beautiful to hear. So how did you two meet? I'm so, I'm so sorry. Can you, can you repeat that question? How, did we, how did we meet? Yes. How did even I meet? Okay. Yes. Yes. I want to, um, before we tell you the question of how we meet, I just want to comment on what you said about how hard it is and the hard work that it takes to be in coherence. I think that that's absolutely true. And thank you so much for saying that and sharing that. I think we all feel that in our lives because there is so much heaviness, even despite life being hopeful. And I think that the antidote, one of them is the transparency, which is what you just did by saying what you shared, that life often is hard and that there are things that are very difficult to contend with on a day-to-day -day basis. And especially if you're doing work to uplift the world and uplift others and to hold others' hands through the darkness and to hold the space for people to metabolize their own garbage, right? And to move through it, or also just to metabolize the difficulties and pain of life, which isn't garbage, which is just, you know, the existential struggles of being a human being, that the more that we're able to also share that, the more profound the human experience becomes and the more connected we feel to others. That's right. Well, and that's the human experience. Exactly. I'm just saying within what what was it? What is this? Three minutes of recording. I feel like I'm a, like a, a few, a few, just few notches higher. And that's why it's so important to talk to people who are in that frequency, who are in that, I think, integrous um, alignment with themselves and what they want for the world because you really not only do they feel great but it helps others so thank you for that this is going to be a great conversation already yeah I think again the the what Anna is saying and we've talked about before is is the knowing that we're human and the you know the the human experience and the the human um sort of the shared humanity I think is the, the term for it shared humanity and that life is hard and that we we have feelings and we have emotions and it's not always easy and you know and i think with the advent of social media where people are posting how happy they are and the places that they're going and there's more depression and more anxiety because we say oh well why do they why are they happy and i'm not or i think you know why why is it so easy i think we talked about this why is it so easy for some people and it just seems so hard where it's really most likely hard for most people and, and to share that I think takes that burden off and also helps people uh, know that it's okay. It's okay what they're feeling and it's also okay that it's gonna get better or it is better in many ways. So that that connection that we have together helps us heal and helps us grow. 
Amen. Right there. That's a clip we're going to share <laughs> for everyone who's feeling heavy. <laughs> I love that. So how, how, how long have you two known each other, this beautiful friendship of yours of two brilliant minds? Yeah. Is it about two or three years at this point? Nope. A is year and a half. A year and a half. It feels but like many it feels lifetimes. Like forever. It feels like forever, but it's only been a year and a half. Yeah. Many, li many lifetimes. Yeah. You should see when her hair is down and our hair is curly, we actually look alike. Yeah. So. Yeah. We do have that. We have this sisterhood thing going on in every way. <laughs> well, I cannot wait to join you in one of your travels and one of the- You would love that. Let us know. Let us know your schedule. Where are you based, Javna? I'm in Minneapolis. Okay. Got it. Yeah, if our travels it. take us there, we're coming over. But otherwise, we'll figure out a place in the world to meet. Absolutely. We're going to have to because I've heard that you're going to be doing a lot of exciting things in 2024. And toward the end, I would love to talk about that just a little bit, a little bit more. I, I suppose I'm curious. You are, you are, we've talked with Eva was kind enough to share your brilliant bio. I mean, you're so incredibly successful and, and charming and just your energy is contagious. Uh, but what is so remarkable to, to me is that you're, you're really, uh, it shows so much growth in the work that you're doing where you're blending the psychiatry and the spirituality in, in such unique ways that I think offers credibility and trust with the people who are very wary of those of those ideas. So I'm really curious, how do you blend the psychiatry, which is uh, uh, recognized with, with mainstream um, America that we really trust it, it's the thing we do, and also this, this spirituality and how do you apply that approach with um, people, you work with some of the most successful people in the world and how what is their reception to, to this blend of yours? Yeah, um, I think that at this point, people seek me out of specifically, they want that combination. They want either an executive coach or a psychiatrist who also has a little bit of a spiritual flavor. And um, I really meet people where they're at. And I feel that part of understanding the whole person and helping people be the best version of themselves and helping them elevate their spirit and align with their soul is understanding what spirituality means to them, you know, where biological, psychological, social, and spiritual beings. Those are all the different aspects. And there's many other models too, you know, of how you can define all the aspects of being a human being. But the spiritual part is the part that's often overlooked. And it's overlooked in many different models, in many scientific models. Science and spirituality have often been strange bedfellows. And it was actually within my profession, Sigmund Freud believed that you know, belief in God was an obsessional neurosis. It was a crutch that people leaned on when they're weak and he's not alone in his perspective. Then other psychiatrists like Carl Jung came, alone, came along and actually believed that spirituality was integral and essential for our inherent wholeness as human beings. And it was Albert Einstein who best reconciled those two perspectives by saying that science without religion is lame, religion without science is blind. So it's been an evolution over time. And my integration of that with patients is really about meeting people where they're at and ensuring that we use a spiritual perspective to fully understand the human being. 
So I'm curious, how do you define spirituality? Because you mentioned the word religion too, and people really get hung up on this term so much and sometimes refuse to have an open discussion about it because it's, you know, you're a quack, it's, it's woo-woo, all of these different things. Yet, um, I think spirituality right now is coming forward where your field of psychiatry and also the science is coming to actually support a lot of the things that mystics have been talking about for, for millennia. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the way that I define spirituality is it's a connection to something greater than oneself, which could be to God, if you believe in God, or to source or the universe or a collective consciousness or mother nature, or a set of collective values like hope, love, trust and perseverance. A belief in God is not a necessary prerequisite for spirituality, which is why, according to my definition, an atheist can be a deeply spiritual person if they're connected to mother nature or to these values and really in flow and in line with life. And you're exactly right, Jasna, that religion and spirituality for some people could be one, for some people could be completely separate. And there's actually four main categories, spiritual, but not religious, religious, but not spiritual, spiritual and religious, and neither spiritual nor religious. The two categories that are growing the fastest right now in our country are the spiritual, but not religious, and then neither spiritual nor religious. That's interesting. And and where, why, why are you saying, where did you see that? This you is the research center. They do a lot of research mm -hmm. on this and understanding religion from all the different religious traditions and then spirituality, which is one's more um, sense or connection to something greater than oneself. And so now let's go a little bit deeper into this definition of spirituality, right? What is a connection to something greater than oneself? And what does that mean? So my favorite actually academic definition of spirituality comes from a British professor of theology, Christopher Cook. And he says that spirituality could be very deeply subjective and a very innate or inner experience in the same way that it could be a very transcendent or outer experience. So it could be something where you look inwards or look outwards, but whichever way you interpret your spiritual experience, it's usually concerned with ultimate values, truth, purpose, meaning, and love. It, and I also, I think what I would like to know about is when we take that into perspective, when we take this research, have they looked at you know, the whys, you know, mm. like why, why is it now? I mean, I, I have my opinion and my, my evaluation of things of looking at the world and especially post COVID. And we're we talked about this before, Jasna, about reasserting our values and what's important and the movement towards uh, not believing in anything, like who that subset of population is and the movement towards uh, the spirituality without the religion. So moving away from organized religion, if they look at those, like, who are those, you know, who is the population of people that are going in that yeah. direction? Yeah, yeah, it's that's such a great question too. Um, and so, especially the spiritual but not religious, that's one of the fastest growing groups. And so, what defines that group? Let's like you know do a cross section of that group. So, there's a man named Zach Bell who gives this beautiful talk on the spiritual but not religious movement, and he defines them as the people who. First, we'll go to a cacao ceremony, then maybe we'll go do some yoga, then we'll count some mala beads, and maybe we'll do the rosary if they feel like it. Might go to a church service, but then to like light Shabbat candles and da-da-da-da. And it's those people, they kind of define their spirituality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. They <laughs> define their spirituality as it suits them. They 
draw from many various traditions, but oftentimes what is missing in this particular movement is the sense of community right. that unifies specific and particular religions. And so what Zach Bell is seeking to do is he's actually seeking to create community around this spiritual, but not religious movement. It's very, very interesting. And when you have individuals united in that particular orientation, often their other beliefs are also concordant. So these are people who want to save the rain rainforest. These are people who want to do very concrete things for climate change. Often they're vegans, are, you know. So there's there's a lot of um, value concordance with those groups. It's very interesting. So the so the the um, the piece here is is that you know religion likely formed from our 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 quest for the the need to belong. So we have a biological inherent need to belong to to not, to, to one another, but also to something greater than as our ancestors. That's what they used to survive, right? They needed one another. They couldn't be alone and they didn't have science. So they believed in something greater than to allow them to mitigate uncertainty, which we needed less and less as science evolved and we could explain for things. And as we've sort of also grown in our capitalistic way, we've become more and more separate. And so this is the idea of bringing people back together in the sense of community with spirituality without it having to be one thing. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. That people, right. That in a way there's almost people turning away from certain established religion because people are so anti-authority right now. There is definitely that. And yet at the same time, there's people who are very pro-authority and wanting, you know, but the anti-authority is no, I want to do it my way. And then they find all these ways and then they unify with others who have wanted to do it their way. I wanted to also, oh, sorry. No, I'm thinking just I'm excited where there's going to where there's going to take. And even I've talked about that before. My concern is that the people that yeah, I I've totally fit that bucket, that category. That's me, little cacao ceremony, little yoga, little, all of the things. I light all the candles. I read the Torah, the Bible, the, the Bhagavad Gita. I mean, I cover my bases. But um, I, there's also I feel like a lot of incoherence where people are constantly looking everywhere and they're looking outside of themselves. And um, I really hope, I mean, there's it's really not a question here, but I'm thinking, I hope that this movement, whatever it like, however it shows up, that it comes back to this need of like, let's go ground within ourselves because we are ultimately, we're it. Yeah, I, I love that point. I think that's so true. And I think that, you know, a, a friend of mine, Maureen St. Germain says that this is like a, conspiracy that everyone has believed that God is outside of them as a, you know, white man with a long beard on a cloud, as opposed to looking within themselves for God and for the divine and for like that, you know, unique spark. And I think that like for myself personally, um, a connection to something greater or to the divine for me exists within me and outside of me. And so whenever I am looking for divine guidance and answers to questions, I look at two things. One is my own intuitive feelings about something. And I see what messages come in when I'm able to quiet the voices in my head that could be so loud, like the voice of reason and the voice of emotion. So as I quiet those voices, I get in touch with that still quiet voice of intuition to give me guidance. And that's the inner part. And so, you know, how we were talking about spirituality being both inner and outer, there's also an outer part. And the way that my outer connection with spirituality often coalesces is through synchronicity. So meaningful coincidences or things happening outside of myself that are 
a wink from the universe pointing me in the right direction based on my interpretation. Now, synchronicity is a very, very interesting concept. Um, it's a term that was coined by Swiss um, psychologist Carl Jung and psychiatrist Carl Jung. And it was a term that um, talks about the co-occurrence of two things that aren't causally related. So like I think about Eva and she calls me. Did my thinking about her make her call me? No, but the fact that that corresponded to me might be meaningful. So it's a synchronicity. And it's like these little things, or you haven't heard from someone in ages and have a dream about them. And then the next day you bump into that person. That's a synchronicity. So those kinds of things outside of us, I feel like are as much of our divine connection to the creator, to whatever is spiritual for us, as much as our internal intuitive guidance. So oh, I think I think what's beautiful about the way you describe that is what it's pointing to is, is how we develop belief, right? And it's a state of belief and, and the belief then creates the lens within which we then exist in the world. And there's a reason I'm saying this is going to lead to something else. Um, and it always does. Always <laughs> does. Uh, and so it, that that sort of belief, as we have confirmation, it confirms that sort of, let's say, positive belief in our ability to co-create a positive outcome in our world or feel safe in the world and all the things that we cherish and, and desire, or just know that we're, again, not alone that I, I'm somehow connected to something greater than, and it's connected to me. And I, it's a sort of a reinforcement of beliefs. And so what we see and what we have seen, all of us is in, also in our own lives is where you can go down that rabbit hole of negative belief. And when you sort of have experiences that shift you out into those positive sense of belief, um, that, that there's positive outcome as, light, as possible or positive expectation as you will versus negative expectation. And, the what the therapeutic model of why therapy and why working with a coach or working with a therapist or psychiatrist or what have you enables people to sort of shift out of that negative belief system that rabbit hole and move towards positive expectation and what that has to do and this is where we're going to come in Anna is sort of the wiring of our brain and the neuropathic pathways and what we have now, the advent of plant medicine and psychedelics, ketamine, what have you, especially therapy assisted, and how that sort of evolved and evolving and enabling people to move towards that positive expectation and also the connection with uh, spirituality or community or what have you and what you're seeing there. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I, I lo love that. Um, it, you know, it's interesting when you were talking about totally, totally side question, be, you two are both like very, um, it, it, a funny question because you're talking about the main man with the beard, because this was a dilemma the other day with a few of my adult mamas. Do you tell children the truth about Santa or not? Really quickly, yes or no? <laughs> At some point, we'll keep yes. the magic alive. Yes. Is, keep think... the magic alive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think whether you tell children or not, children will find out. <laughs> so they you will. can be the bearer of the news or you can be the recipient of their surprise. What happened to Santa? You'll never guess, Mom, what I heard today. I love that. It was interesting. I bring that up because there's just so much. Um, I'm such a big believer in magic. And magic is this expectation and things are just happening all the time. And there's uh, my children are now like, I, I remember even um, seeing one of them in the in their bedroom with a spoon. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm trying to do what Matilda did, you know, in the, <laughs> bend the spoon. 
and 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 like you know there are people who can actually do that it's really beautiful but it's not like magic is what we used to think say about the things that we couldn't explain so yes believe in magic and that's true and there and there's lots and lots of magic and that's the idea of belief right and i believe in magic or i believe in something that i can't see even though i can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist and again those are related to like pathways in our brain that enable us to either believe that or not and as again this is more in, this is in alignment with Anna's field of expertise and sort of finding out you know that I personally would like to create make magic normal in the world that's kind of where I feel my mission is is to normalize magic so it's not so you know when in in medicine we say that that's magical thinking that's a negative you say that negatively about somebody it's a pathology as opposed to magical thinking is really actually wonderful there's really no entrepreneur out there that didn't have magical thinking and, and become successful you have to think out of the box the proverbial box right so in essence that could be delusional or magical thinking and it's functional um so to look at why this magical thinking is good for us it's good for us as individuals as a community as society and how that sort of bridges with spirituality and um, I think that's what I'd love Anna to comment on. Absolutely. I also am all for normalizing magic. And what is magic? I mean, I think of magic in, in multiple ways. And um, I think two manifestations of magic are synchronicities, these meaningful coincidences. And then synchronicities taken to their nth degree result in miracles. And miracles, the way that I define a miracle, is something highly beneficial yet statistically improbable. So when something beautiful happens, like a healing from a terminal illness or anything else that could be, you know, deemed miraculous. Um, and what creates that? A number of things create it, but it creates the vi you creating the right vibration, you expecting miracles to come, you doing your part in the world to create the miracle, and then there being a little bit of divine intervention luck that brings the miracle in so this is actually what so my first book was about the science of spirituality my book currently is on the science of miracles and what can we as human beings do to draw them into our life so i love what eva's saying i'm all for magic and miracles i love it when does the book come out it's not done yet so <laughs> it's after it's done <laughs> yeah, working, but we can't wait to talk about it and celebrate here when it does um so i'm curious it seems like there was a really a stark trajectory difference for you when you went off to travel to 70 countries and then study kabbalah buddhist meditations you study with shamans it that's a very that's a one's decision that uproots the old set of beliefs and really creates a completely different way of looking at the world but i'm curious when you first started or, you know, or maybe along the way what did you notice there was a very clear pattern like the greatest learning that came from from that journey for you Mm, I think, you know, it was actually more of a personal thing. Like whenever I travel, I feel as though I like back then, um, I felt always that school was, it took a lot of effort. It was effortful for many reasons. And there was a certain kind of freedom that I felt when I traveled in part because I was free. It was often on vacation or a break, et cetera. But I was able to remove all masks, remove anything that in any way was inauthentic and really align with the deepest part of myself. And I think in that state, Things really flowed in a way that, in, in a different way. And now, as I think about it, the way that I understand it is the two different ways that we as human beings manifest, which is the more masculine way of manifesting versus the more feminine way of manifesting. The masculine way of manifesting is we work really, really hard. 
We give everything 110% effort. Um, we strive, we can be assertive, we make things happen. And that's all of medical school, all of like, you know, high school, college, everything in my life, right? Up until a certain point. And then the other way of manifesting was when I traveled, which was completely different. I had none of that energy. It was you have an intention for what you want to feel, and then you become a magnet for what you want to draw into your life. And those things come in, not because you're working hard, but because you are open and receptive to it. And you're working at the level of being as opposed to doing. You become a magnet for that which you want to draw in through your intention, through your actions, and through essentially being in joy. So masculine versus feminine manifesting. Travel and those experiences taught me the latter. And, and in your typical in your typical client, let's say, and you, you work with very successful people who and essentially are quite masculine in their manifestation. They've worked hard. They've they're highly successful. They've they've been able to succeed in this very sort of masculine paradigm. What is sort of the typical work that you do with them as they're sort of bridging into sort of spirituality? What is what is typical for you? What is a typical recommendation? No names here, but just. <laughs> yeah. I think it, it's the answer to that question is as varied as the people, because in order to get to where you need to get to spiritually, you need to work through all the other parts at the mental, psychological, emotional, and physical level. So you can't just, you know, be engaging in horrible habits in the rest of your life and expecting to, you know, connect to the divine. You will connect to the divine, but the answers you're going to get are get healthy, you know, or, <laughs> right? And so like you need to um, often help people work through whatever they need to work through to open up those channels. So often I'm doing that with people. And you do these things often alongside one another. Like you could be teaching people to meditate and starting to receive information at the same time as you're helping them get rid of their addictions and helping them to think about, what does the highest version of their life look like? How is that going to change from where they are now? How are you going to change the way that you speak to your spouse or to interact with your children? Or how are you going to change these bad habits that you feel are holding you back? Or these things that you feel victim to? How do you change your mentality and your relationship to your past in order to open up a greater future for yourself? Those are often things that you need to do in order to get people on their spiritual path. You can't just say, okay, I'm gonna be spiritual and forget all that because that's spiritual bypassing. That's right. And that's when you're like, everything's so great. Everything's so wonderful. I'm so spiritual, love and light, love and light. Right. And then like, there's this whole like volcano underneath waiting to explode. Right. We talked about that just earlier. And and back to, back to I think I, maybe I didn't pose it as a question. So I wanna, I'm gonna go back to it. And having said that, you know, working through these, underlying uh, issues or beliefs or uh, distortions, what have you, habits. And I wanted to go back to if you could touch upon the role of, you know, ketamine or other psychedelics mm -hmm. in this process and why you think that it's it's sort of sort of the advent of the art tomorrow and also taking into account that people might be also using it you know, they're doing a spiritual bypass and saying, oh, listen, I just did an, you know, ayahuasca experience and I'm spiritual now yeah. and having that <laughs> and problem solving. I haven't done the work that I needed to do. Yeah. Um, and so I'd love to hear you've been doing this for quite some time and, and speaking on it. She's all over the world in conferences and uh, would love to know more about where yeah. you think it's going and how it can sort of it really change things for us in such a huge That's way. A great question. Definitely. Yeah. And I think that um, psychedelics, ketamine, what they offer within my field of psychiatry is not just a 
novel biological mechanism to deal with some of our most difficult and treatment resistant cases of mental health issues, such as uh, treatment resistant depression, anxiety, OCD, PTSD, trauma, um, alcohol addiction, et cetera. These medications also offer the potential for connection to spirit. They offer subjective self-transcendent experiences that could be deeply personal that change how people see themselves and the world and their role in the world. So this is something that few medications actually offer. Not everybody has this and not everybody has this every time, but it does happen and it does happen in a substantial number of cases. And so the combination of this novel biological mechanism alongside this deeply psycho-spiritual possibility for these medications, I think it makes them so, so novel. And I think this right now, in a time in our country where trauma, suicidality, addiction, domestic violence is really higher than it's ever been, we need more and more treatments that could reach especially the most treatment resistant populations. And that's what some of these medications hold in store as possibilities. And I think you were also telling me before about the ability to actually also create community around it. Absolutely. So if you can touch more upon where you think this, this research and activities are going, where they're doing these things in groups, yeah. and which is, again, allowing for, you know, what we're seeing right now is, is an epidemic of loneliness, right? Not only Absolutely. of spiritual disconnection, but loneliness. It's an epidemic. And, and if you look at blue zones, right, part of the reason these people live so long is because they're part of community. So yeah. if you could um, maybe talk about that and, and the rise of communities and also maybe the ketamine assisted communities or whatever that may be, or psychedelic communities that yeah. get together or plant medicine, why that part is, is important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I want to answer that in a number of different ways. Um, number one, you're exactly right. We have this loneliness epidemic. And when you think about psychedelics as helping to aid that, and also in the fact that another part of this epidemic, why loneliness is even more potent is because people have unprocessed trauma that they're carrying alone and that they have not shared with the group and that there could be deep shame around and deep secrecy around. Let's put all this together and how do we think about all this, right? So in many other parts of the world where psychedelic medicines are used, like ayahuasca, for instance, um, the psychedelic experience is not solitary. It's not a one-on-one -on -one experience. Even in Oftentimes, this is something that's done in groups in order to promote group cohesion and to create a very special unity. Um, in our mental health structure, even in the treatment of trauma, sometimes, especially in the treatment of trauma, treatment is done one-on-one. -on -one. But we have now so many people who have trauma, especially as we're changing definitions of trauma, not just to be the trauma with a capital T, which is the potential for loss of life or limb, but also trauma with a lowercase t, which is the trials and tribulations of life that are just deeply hurtful, even though they didn't lead to the potential for loss of life or limb, right? A lot of people are carrying a lot of pain, a lot of attachment issues, a lot of trauma. And so the question is, how do you help everybody process their trauma in a space where not everyone can afford to have their own therapist, where trauma is becoming more and more rampant and affecting all levels of functionality? One of the answers could be through group sessions and possibly through group psychedelic experiences. This is something that is being done in certain places. There is like group ketamine experiences that are being offered um, by numerous companies and other people are creating the spaces for that. 
ayahuasca is something that's done in a group. There's these other group psychedelic journey experiences. And when you think about certain forms of trauma, like in particular, there's a form of trauma that um, one of my dear friends, Jack Saul, wrote a lot about, and that's moral injury trauma. That's when people go to war and by no choice of their own are forced to do unspeakable things like kill other people and kill women and children, you know, or, or kill other, just men, women, and children. You know, if you're killing, you don't want to be killing. You can come back and have deep moral injury by virtue of having committed unspeakable acts and you carry that with you, right? How do you heal that? The healing for something like that actually comes in a group setting. It could be done one-on-one -on -one with a therapist, but often it's in the context of a group because the people who chose to go to war don't often choose. You have to go to war. And it's the other people who stayed behind could remove some of the burden of guilt from the people who went because the people who went, they went for us. Mm -hmm. They were doing the work for those of us that were left behind. And there's something very powerful about being able to, as a group, take away some of the moral injury trauma from others. We can heal each other from traumatic experiences. I'm curious yeah. to mm -hmm. that really quickly. This is an important thing. There's a, if you're supporting killing of others, would that apply as well? I'm wondering. Usually those aren't the people that are going to have the moral injury trauma. The people who have the moral injury trauma are the people who are like, I don't believe I did this. I don't believe I I had to do this. How could I have committed such an, such an atrocity? Yes, people could have a change of heart, but usually the people leading the efforts are not the people that come back with moral injury trauma. Okay. It's, it's interesting. It's just interesting because right now there is a, I, I have been, I feel like just like everyone else consumed what's happening in the Middle East and um, some of the really normal, well-adjusted individuals um, really, really advocating for the, uh, that I know, advocating for, for killing of, of other people. And I'm thinking, <laughs> do we know each other? How can, how can one make such a claim, a righteous claim? And then it goes back to religion and all these kind of things. But I, I think that that would also mess with our psyche too, because in the end, we know that it's wrong. We know that it's, it, it, I feel like that leaves an incredibly, and every time I do something naughty, every time I lose my cool with my children, I feel like it leaves an imprint. I have to like, I have to forgive myself. I have to like clear it because if I don't, I think it's a little bit of a self-loading that happens along the way because I know that it's, I subconsciously, I know it's not right, even though I feel righteous about it. Right. I mean, imagine how that's, you're self-aware of that and how many, how that's actually a human condition. You know, that happens with all of us, with everyone and holding that in and not talking about it and how powerful it, it can be to be part of a group setting and sharing it, know that you're not alone. There's a reciprocity in that experience that other people are feeling the same way, which I think why the work that Anna does is so uh, is so impactful and powerful in, ma in making this sort of commonplace and what we do in the world. And do you have any, any comments on that? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think I agree. I feel like um, I agree with both of you. And I think what's happening right now in Israel, it's absolutely heartbreaking. And it's such a difficult, horrible situation for anybody to have to be a part of and have to make decisions in. And you understand why people make the decisions that they're making. But what happens when there's no good decisions? How do we look outside the box and think, let's think like if there's nothing possibly good that's coming out of this, is this the only way? Is there another way? And so I feel like that's the question that I there has to be a different way as a, chi as a child of 
or it's women and children who are going to be carrying this on for for generations to come and there 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 has to be a different way well going back to your revolutionary work and this is something i'm very excited about because our our uh, institutions are very often resistant to change and yet you're creating a center for spirituality and mental health at yale <laughs> and I'm just so curious to, to hear about what are you doing? What is your concept? What is your vision? Or should we call it magic? Because remember, we talked about that <laughs> magic. What, what, what do you hope to see? And what can we expect from such a center? Yeah, so um, thank you. We're going to be um, starting a center that's going to integrate the medical school and the divinity school at Yale to be able to do research at the intersection of these two things. And it's going to be primarily a research center, but it's also in the second phase going to also be a clinical care center where the research that we do at Yale, we're going to be able to deliver to patients in all kinds of settings. And it's going to be a reservoir for amazing educational opportunities through conferences, through lectures, through courses, et cetera. And that's also going to be a phase two thing. And eventually we want to be able to enable people to get, you know, degrees in this intersection. And already a lot of people have been contacting me. How do I get this degree? How do I work? Here? And it's so exciting to realize that there is already such a need and such a passion for this. I just wish we could do it faster. It really comes down to the funding. Right now we are seeking to raise the funding that's necessary for it. We have a number of research projects that we are so excited to launch. Um, and that includes the spiritual side of psychedelic use because at Yale, the majority of work around psychedelics focuses on the neurobiology and neurochemistry of psychedelic use, but not the spiritual self-transcendent mystical side of psychedelic use. So we want to study that. We also are gonna be studying the neural correlates of spiritual experiences. So where in the brain, what happens in the brain when you are thinking about a spiritual experience that you have had, what regions light up and what does that mean? And then we're also looking at different ways to receive intuitive information and the way in which, for instance, someone like a psychic or medium can hear voices and get guidance. And how does that differ from a schizophrenic who can also hear voices, but those voices are often disruptive and incredibly disturbing and could lead to a downward spiral in all aspects of their life. What could the psychics and mediums teach the schizophrenics? What can we learn from one in order to apply to the other and help people with these chronically persistent mental illness conditions learn in order to heal and to be able to function better? And do you feel that there is a, in your experience and the people you're working with, um, pot, it, that it will be possible to teach others, teach other clinicians, teach others how to tap into those voices, to that intuition? Um, it, you know, is that a is that something that we all have, or just something that 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 gifted people have? Yeah, what yeah, it's, it's a great question. Eva. I mean, we talk about this a lot, yeah. and yeah, it's it's about the idea of medical, you know, medical intuition or just intuition that, in a way, I do believe we all have to some degree. Some people are exceptionally gifted and are able just to receive information. Others of us can cultivate that capacity and receive information in all kinds of ways. They talk about the four C's, the four Claires of how you could receive intuitive information. And that's clairaudience. So when you hear intuitive information as a voice, clairvoyance, when you see intuitive information as a vision, clairsentience, when you receive intuitive information as a deeply felt emotion or something that you feel in your body and claircognizance, when you get intuitive information just by knowing, you know, and you don't know why you know. So these are the four clairs and it's super, super interesting how we develop those capacities and how we can enhance those. 
I am so darn excited. I mean, this is, <laughs> I feel like now we know why we're excited about the future because there's, you know, that there's so much good that, that, um, that is coming forth that I really stands a chance to completely alleviate the problems that we're having. And I'm, I'm here for it. I'm, you know, Eva and I always like to make these conversations really practical. So people who are listening, all of a sudden, the up level together, this movement became this, we all are doing the work and people are very, very engaged, but they very often listen to maybe esoteric or highly intellectual conversations They're like, well, what do I do when I spill my coffee all over myself, like these little things. And it takes me back to this um, idea when you're talking about when you're traveling, this idea of feminine manifestation, when you are just, you're allowing, you're surrendering, you're moving through effortlessly because you're, you're not necessarily striving. What advice do you have for someone listening here today who's juggling three kids? who's juggling TikTok and the incessant information coming from that, the wars, the economy, the politics, and just feels like, I don't feel as supple as Anna moving through the world. Yeah. I mean, and Anna doesn't always feel super supple. So I feel like it's also, you know, having the times when you do feel it and really going with it and being so grateful for those experiences and the times that you don't feel it, acknowledging it. And also just like you did right now, being transparent with yourself, with others, here's where I'm at and meeting yourself where you're at and enabling others to meet you where you're at. And when we do that, when we meet life on life's terms and accept life on life's terms, life also meets us and we're able to metabolize whatever we're going through and then move forward. So I love that question, Jasna. And I can also attest to what the other, other than being a lot of amazing, beautiful, wonderful, has wonderful virtues that Annie has. She has a, also the wonderful virtue of, of asking for help. Mm-hmm. So for, from Eva, well, for <laughs> me or for me and men and other people like you're, you know, it's just because you're accomplished and you've done some, you know, I, we, we actually laughed about this because when I was first starting out 20 years ago and I thought, you know, that I was a spiritual teacher and spiritual teachers had to show up in a certain way. And, you know, you're not allowed to fall apart and you're not allowed to get angry. You're not allowed to use swear words and, you know, want to hurt people sometimes. And, and that those are all actual very human feelings and emotions and completely natural. And if we hold ourselves up to be some kind of perfection, then we don't actually ask for help and we don't act human. And then, then we feel more alone. And, and I think one of the things that I'm also learning from Anna is how to be, be that vulnerable person and that, you know, you can be all these things and she's really good at asking for help when she needs it. So Thank you, Eva. Uh, I love asking for help. I'm going to need some help later today. Okay. <laughs> Please rub off of me a little bit because I, I just, I need to work on that desperately. I'm still like, I got it. I I'm I will handle it all. And I don't well, know. I tell you all the time, Jasna, to call me and you never do. <laughs> well, you know, when I have a minute to sit, I like to like <laughs> handle and go within because <laughs> it's been, it's been a marathon over here. Yeah. Um, Anna, I'm curious, your your book fulfilled how the science of spirituality can help you lead um, a happier and more meaningful life has received a widespread acclaim and people are really raving about it. Why do you think it is such a nerve and was so helpful to people? I think it's because um, a number of things. Number one, it showcases 50 patients from my private practice with very real stories and how they've made their transformations and 
there's, um, it goes deep into a lot of psychological principles that I think are very relatable and that people are like, oh, that's me. And I didn't realize that this is why I do things. So I really tried to take and bring in a lot of psychology and depth psychology to help people understand why they do things. If it's hard, if you have these things like repetition compulsions, things keep coming up again and again and again, and you have no idea why this keeps happening. So it really, I really try to bring in the psychology and the more psychoanalytic psychodynamic perspective to explain that. And alongside that, I think it's also the spiritual perspective to be able to remove people from the ruts in which we're stuck and to move forward. So there's a lot of exercises of how to unite psychology and spirituality to move forward in your life. So I think those are some of the, but thank you. I love that. Well, Eva and I recommended that everyone read the book because it's, these are the, I'm such a big believer. The books are to me are so healing. They have changed mm -hmm. my life and a book that's able to move people like yours in such a big level. Um, for example, when I read, um, I've read all of Eva's books, but when I remember even just about reading the very first one, Tra Trailblazer in terms of forest baiting, it was just all of these light bulbs went, went off. And then the, uh, you know talking about the love and the, the power of our hearts like I th th there's there are certain books that forever change my life and I think I'm just so grateful for the authors who say yes because it's a lot of work <laughs> yeah and and again to adding to to fulfilled you know I think the audience is getting to witness her brilliance um and also her humanness and I think that's what's beautiful about this book there's so much Eloqu it's written she, she's very eloquent and you're very I always said that to you, you. and yeah. the book is written eloquently because it's she's writing it um and it's filled with a lot of intelligence but it also has a lot of heart and it's very relatable so I really encourage people to read it I love that well, but I'm really curious about we're going to by the way everyone listening we're going to put the link to the book um uh, right below in this description and really encourage you to check it out also all of the links to where you can find Anna and her brilliance her website and also her uh link on Instagram where she where she shares basically every you're you're all over on these really fancy big podcasts and tv shows and um i really love the fact that you have the platform because you're talking about something so incredibly important uh, now i do know that you two are creating something pretty yummy and magical in 2024 is there anything you would like to share well, Eve and I are going to be putting together an executive coaching company that's going to be both of our um, expertise, and it's going to offer numerous services, including one-on-one -on -one coaching, um, including medical and psychiatric evaluations when medically indicated in the states that we're licensed in, and including consultation services for companies in terms of wellness assessments and mental health assessments. So we're super excited to do this. We're very excited to partner together to bring this to the world, and we look forward to working with everybody on it that's eva it's all here exactly <laughs> <laughs> we've been talking about this i love that any any yeah. other events or any other journeys or things where i need to come and join you well we'll build it and you will come <laughs> I, you have my phone number <laughs> yeah, absolutely it's in the works i, I love that so Anna, um i really i feel so honored that you took the time to talk to us and i'm just very 
happy to be in the presence of both of you. Eva knows I revere her and love her. And I think the world of you, Eva, and I'm just so grateful that we're, we're really co-creating and then we're lending the, the voices of people who are integrous and loving towards human kind to just to help us a little bit because we're, we're just not okay so i feel so so incredibly uh grateful but if is there any lasting you know, last words or parting words for the audience in this moment um at, at the time where we're living in such feel chaotic times chaotic uncertain world um, anything you would like to share with the audience that would that would put them at ease a little bit or um, get them excited about the future? I think that there is so many things. I feel that, you know, I felt so inspired by going to these longevity events that I mentioned. And at these longevity events, I learned not just all these ways, because I know a lot of the psychological, psychiatric techniques. I learned all of these biohacks. That's number one. But also... The things that are planned for the future, it's its so interesting. Like there's this whole other world, the futurists, the utopias, dystopian futures, but like the fascinating technologies that could be uh, going down the pipeline. And there's this guy named Nuno Martins with whom I'm partnering to do some work in this. Um, and, you know, they were talking about down the road, the futuristic things that we essentially have to just live up until a point where you have these nanobots go into your arteries and into your brain and clear out all the plaques in your arteries and clear out any tau and, you know, uh, like, all the beta amyloid plaques from your brains, that there's going to be a time that that could happen. And then our capacity to live, to have greater health span and lifespan increases dramatically. So I think that there's just so many things down the pipeline that we have no idea about. And it's super, super exciting. And of course, we also have to be cautious with AI, the dangers of what we can create and to know to be able to create things with um, the ethics, integrity and safeguards necessary to create the best future we possibly can. Right. And I think that that's the important message for, for the audience is to know that there are really positive, loving, conscious, conscientious people in our world that are taking technology, AI, what have you, science, and doing good with it. And so to, as individuals, to be co-creators of, of this experience as we move forward. You know, we've talked about this before. You can say life is happening to you, for you, or with you. Um, that's your decision. But I encourage people to remember that life is happening with you. There's a lot of, you know, wonderful things that are happening out there to sort of get connected, get involved, and, you know, do your sort of inner work so that you can uh, connect with that outer world in a much more positive, spiritual, and loving way. Um, and read Fulfilled. <laughs> That's it. What a great ending. Thank you all. Eva signed us off. What a great conversation. And I cannot thank you enough. Look forward to uh, following the path, cheering you on and celebrating you and with you um, as you do all these really marvelous, marvelous things. So thank you for your light in this world, for the energy and for, for being here with us. Thank you so much, Jasna yeah. and Eva. Yeah. And oh, thank yeah. you, Jasna, for being so having and being and spreading so much light in this world. So we, I'm, I am Anna is as well. I'm sure. I'm very grateful for you and your light and um, and anything we can do to support you. I love you. Well, there you have it, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in and always listening. Make sure that you share the work of good people. Thank you for your attention. And until next time. Until next time. Take
Until next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>